and welcome to Bond Air. This is episode one of season two. We're no longer in New York Vet. We're in our Manhattan headquarters office. I am Jesse Longo, um, medical operations manager at LVT here at Bond Vet. Uh, I am really excited. It's February. It's the uh, the holy month of dentistry. I'm really uh, looking forward to, to having this conversation today um, with uh, a local uh, to the area and um, Dr. Jordan Ford. Dr. Jordan Ford, uh, to give a, a brief introduction, um, interested in dentistry, first began um, in vet school. Uh, where he witnessed the profound improvements in patient quality of life achieved with recognition and treatment of dental disease. He enjoys all aspects of veterinary dentistry and oral surgery, but he finds anodontics, orthodontics, and the manage of oral mucosal disease particularly rewarding. Uh, having completed his residency in dentistry and oral surgery at the Animal Medical Center uh, in Manhattan, Dr. Ford is uh, has launched PRISM Dentistry, is going to be in the official... Uh, the official site in about a week um, from today, which is really exciting, um, in New York City. Dr. Ford, how you doing? I'm, I'm well. Thank you yeah. very much for having me. Um, it has been a busy month at Dental Health Month, trying to do my best to spread the good word. So thank you for allowing me to continue that mission today. Yeah, I, I can I can only imagine this month has been like insane for you. Have you like what are some highlights that you've had so far? Definitely done a few lectures, and um, even, you know, actually the majority of them have been very basic. Like, I literally title them Back to Basics, in terms <laughs> of uh, brushing up on the basics, just talking about oral home care. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, you know, kind of the, the foundation, the linchpin to so much of what we do, um, both within the realm of specialty and within the realm of primary care. So I'm happy to lecture on those topics, even if they're a little bit more um, rudimentary. I think they're approachable both to clients and veterinarians. So I've actually given the lectures to client side and veterinarian side and has been well received. So I've done that multiple times this month and happy to continue on. Amazing. Yeah, we were just talking uh, uh, before getting started about even like the amount of dentistry education you get um, through programs and uh, like like you were mentioning through when you were in school and I'm sure even still today, uh, the amount uh, of exposure, uh, it really, when the expectation of once you're out of practice versus mm-hmm. the exposure that you get in schools is, is so drastically different. So I can only imagine how helpful, even what you are considering as back to basics, I'm sure <laughs> is, is a lot for them. Yeah, it's, I, you know, I, it feels like a hundred years ago, but I, I finished vet school in 2018. Um, not, not truly that long ago in the grand scheme of things. And I had excellent professors of dentistry and they are, you know, leaders in the field, but even so it was about two weeks of lecture. Mm -hmm. Um, I fought my way onto a rotation for two weeks, but not everyone got that. And, um, you know, even getting as much as I could, as much exposure as I could while in vet school, I, I would not have felt remotely comfortable, you know, practicing directly after graduation. So I have a lot of empathy for uh, (laughs) primary care veterinarians who do go on to do that. And I understand um, it breaks my heart a little bit because I think dentistry is one of those areas that tends to uh, revile, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, it really has a bad rap. (laughs) It it does. And I I think a lot of that, like, yes, truly, we, we do some, we deal with some pretty 
fetid mouths, unfortunately. So mm-hmm. it, it can be physically unpleasant, but I think a lot of it is discomfort and um, lack of preparation, unfortunately. So I, I, I truly do have a lot of patience and understanding because I, I know I wouldn't have been ready. You know, I did a three-year residency where I only dealt with teeth and I still have days where I'm like, oh, this is new. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, so for new graduates coming out of, you know, fresh out of veterinary school or internship even, I it does not mean that they're going to be comfortable or, or well-prepared. So I think there's still a huge knowledge gap, unfortunately, even mm-hmm. though we now know, you know, how common um, problems are in, in terms of oral health, oral disease, um, no matter how we define it, it is, you know, literally the most common disease that we see in small animal patients. So the fact the unfortunate paradox is we're still not prepared to deal with it as, as young practitioners. So I get it for sure. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's, I'm sure that's validating a lot uh, of folks out there um, so. when they are uh, down in the dumps, feeling frustrated with that, that, Another cracked root. <laughs> um, I, it I, happens to all of us. <laughs> um, I think you. I mean, you hit on a few things with uh, with with that, and I think one of the the main topics we wanted to like dive into today, especially as we're talking about primary care and the relationship um, that we have with dentistry. Even mm-hmm. like uh, we were also just talking about how how young um, or how how new uh, like dentistry being practiced in uh, primary care is still Mm -hmm. uh, to this day and um, helping our our primary care counterparts uh, be able to both understand what it is they're they're trying to help but also mm-hmm. how they can uh best communicate with local uh specialists transferring mm-hmm. um to make sure that uh the everyone is kind of on the same page and 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 has that high quality transfer so mm-hmm. uh i know that you you came prepared with a couple of of terms <laughs> that we wanted to to clear up mm-hmm. uh, to clear the air and 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 get um get straight with please i think we're, we were talking about we can start with dental disease because mm-hmm. i think that that's one that uh gets commonly misused yes and it and i will 100 percent acknowledge that <laughs> it might be a pedantic argument for sure but i think when we talk about especially dentistry which historically has been ignored and been kind of a you know blind spot within the profession I think being as specific as possible in terms of what we are diagnosing, what sort of disease process we are treating, what we are conveying to clients. I think if we can disambiguate terminology whenever possible, then I think everyone benefits. So dental disease, as innocuous as it seems, it does make me cringe a little bit just because it is such a catch-all. So um, it is a little bit... Granted, it is artificial to break down this very small anatomy, you know, the tooth versus the periodontium surrounding structures. But I think even kind of pausing and thinking about, okay, when I want to say dental disease, do I mean periodontal disease? Do I mean, you know, run-of-the-mill gum disease that happens in us as well when we're all familiar with to some degree from our own, our own health, our own experiences? So, you know, if you're talking about attachment loss between the tooth and its attachment apparatus, then say periodontal disease, if you're talking about dental trauma, so you're talking about fractures to the tooth itself, pulp exposure, say dental trauma, and then, you know, adequately and accurately characterize the nature of the fracture. So yes, all of those things are, um, to people who don't deal solely in teeth, they they may seem, you know, like nitty gritty, but 
um, when I'm getting referrals and if I'm seeing, you know, vague descriptions, then it doesn't help me, you know, best prepare for the conversation with the client and anticipate mm -hmm. the patient's needs. So even starting within the primary care realm, being as specific as possible in terms of what you're diagnosing and what you're referring or what you're treating yourself, I think everyone benefits from that um, intentionality for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think that that, like, I mean, it's it's expected it's expected from practitioners uh, uh, across uh, many body systems and mm -hmm. and specialties. So um, having it exist there, I think again, it, it just it speaks to the the uh, uncertainty. And I think it, sometimes it may even come down to just like um, confidence in being able to like clearly state what it is mm -hmm. isn't actually going on. Um, throwing in that kind of catch-all phrase makes it a little bit more easy for sure. And again, I empathize if yeah. you like I. I know that you, you, if you have just graduated from vet school, you probably are not adequately prepared. Um, and it's, it's something that I think the larger powers that be in terms of crafting veterinary curricula, they're trying to do better. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, again, I graduated in 2018, was not that long ago. And I still, like, from my own comfort level, I know I would not have had this nuanced understanding yeah. or this willingness to dive into dentistry, even within the realm of primary care. So... I get it for sure, um, but we're we're here to help. <laughs> Definitely. Well, on that same in that same vein of continuing to learn more, what other mm -hmm. kind of uh, phrases do you think? So, profi prophylaxis, <laughs> <laughs> and I, that one is it's ubiquitous, and um, I think part of why I feel stro so strongly about it is because even again back in vet school, I went to Cornell, had wonderful faculty there. Like we were taught that. Profi is a swear word. Like it is not yeah. to be not to be utilized. It's a cohat household. <laughs> yes, <laughs> correct. <laughs> and it again seems obnoxious. I get it, but prophylaxis—that is prevention of disease. Like mm -hmm. prophylaxis is for people who brush their teeth twice a day, every day. You know, in theory, you're flossing sometimes when you're feeling the guilt about going to the dentist <laughs> regularly, which you one has done throughout yeah. one's lifetime. So. That is the realm of prophylaxis. That is where we're actually preventing disease. So I think throwing around, around the word prophy on the veterinary side of things, it's inaccurate because mm -hmm. vanishingly rarely are we actually preventing disease in our patients. We are treating disease. It is a periodontal treatment. So we are, we are dealing with disease that is already in most situations very well advanced. So I think even to kind of change the conversation and really give credit where credit's due. Like we are treating disease as clinicians. You're, we're not preventing it. So I think calling it, you know, anything having to do with scaling, polishing in any degree of disaster mouth, just writing it off as profi, even it does us a disservice as the clinical team. Like we're, we're not just, you know, cleaning things. We're not just spit shining things. Yeah. We're not doing maintenance. You know, we're very frequently dealing with entrenched disease. So mm -hmm. If we can, you know, switch the conversation, even when we're discussing that with clients, you know, letting them know, like, we're not just doing, you know, scaling and polishing. We are dealing with advanced disease and infection and loss of attachment. And I think just if we can be as nuanced as possible, that helps, again, be, a, be more medically accurate, but also do a better job of just kind of... Um, not necessarily advocating for ourselves, but reiterating to the clients of the value that we're actually providing. Yeah, that was like that's exactly where my mind went because I think so often when, especially in dentistry, where mm -hmm. 
that procedure is going to to cost a, a, a bit more than most of what they're doing, especially when their pet is seemingly fine. Mm-hmm. Then like they don't have any trouble eating. It doesn't seem like they're in pain. Yeah. And then you're they're trying eating, to, yeah. yeah. I hear that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, and I think, I think it's being able to explain like what it is that we're actually doing and it, that it, like having it, uh, like you said, like capturing the nuance that it's not just, uh, we're not just going in there and polishing teeth like your dentist would do. And I think that that's, what we default to mm-hmm. um, explaining to the client because mm-hmm. it's going to be the easiest way that they'll understand is like, well, same way you go to the dentist, your pet should go to the dentist, which is true. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that there is there is a big gap uh, in between what happens when you go versus um, when, when your pet goes uh, mm-hmm. into that procedure. So um, speaking to it in that way, really, I think as an industry, we, like, we talk about this a lot uh, at Bond is like, having that like more candid conversation with a client so they really understand like the special like the uh technique that goes Mm -hmm. into uh this the knowledge that is needed um that it isn't like just a simple a a to z procedure it's it's sometimes we also won't know until we get in there and until we get rads like it's completely uh completely going to change so Mm. being able to speak to that's going to be important yes that's that's an excellent point um well two-pronged. So yes, I think we 100% have to, um, I think it's important to create a conversation with clients. Like I mentioned, human dentistry, human experiences all the time, but it's usually with contrasts, you know, like, well, our patients are under anesthesia. (laughs) And yes, it's all, it is a, we're doing so much under that one anesthetic episode, like we're getting all of our baseline diagnostics, but we're also immediately moving into treatment. So Mm -hmm. we, we do have to kind of break that association as well because we're you know it's not like when you go to the dentist like oh you have a cavity come back in two weeks walk yourself into the chair like it's not that simple unfortunately (laughs) with non-compliant patients that we we can't rationalize with unfortunately so i think contrasting that to the human experience is very helpful yeah um but i think yes it is it is challenging for clients to to um break the idea that this is just going to be a cleaning. You know, I yeah, hear that all the yeah, time. Yeah. Okay, it's just going to be a cleaning, right? Well, I'm like, well, you know, those incisors are moving around like piano keys. <laughs> so no, it's, it's not just going to be a cleaning. Um, I'm glad that that has been your experience at the dentist historically. Yeah, Usually yeah. just a cleaning, that's great. But that's because you do oral home care every day. That's, mm-hmm. That is how we get to just a cleaning. Like it is achievable within veterinary patients, but um, not with the kind of knowledge gap and intervention gap that we have as is. So mm-hmm. it is it is challenging, you know, in my job, I feel like I'm bursting bubbles every day with clients. Yeah. Like, no, not just cleaning. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> 19 extractions later. <laughs> um, so that is challenging. Yeah. Um, and I, I get it. You know, I growing up, I don't recall any of my own pets getting regular dental care. And mm. so when clients reflect that to me also, I'm like, yeah, I get it. But the industry has changed. Our understanding has changed mm-hmm. and our, our pets are living longer. You know, that's a good thing, but we also have to, uh, acknowledge and deal with chronic disease. Totally. Most common of which is periodontal disease. <laughs> so um, it, I, I get it. I, I get it. You know, when clients are, are surprised that they haven't heard this before or dealt with this before and with previous generations of companion animals. Mm-hmm. But that's because we're in a whole new, you know, a whole new iteration of the field. Yeah. Um, I, I, all, I think all amazing points, especially in like that communication with the client and, uh, and, 
like again it's like it's all still so new to us so being able to uh express that yes in your lifetime this this hasn't been the norm but mm -hmm. now we are here and we want to uh this and this is this is what we've seen to help um mm -hmm. i think that's the biggest thing too mm -hmm. Um, awesome. It was a little bit of a digression there, but I liked it. Uh, <laughs> I, we had an, another, another phrase to, to phase out. Mm. Uh, or something. Yeah. I think yeah. is on there. Yeah. So that, <laughs> that also another swear word, um, from, from vet school times. So epulous, this, it, it very much more technical terms. So mm -hmm. this is, you know, you know, vet, vet word. Um, but historically, oh goodness, there's, such a can of worms if, we're, if we wanted to <laughs> really get into the the minutiae of um, comparing uh, neoplasms masses in veterinary species to people like oh goodness there are whole textbooks on that and we, we won't go into that <laughs> um, but just from the primary care vet perspective I think if you notice you know a mass in the mouth mm -hmm. I think it is very tempting um, especially because historically it has been the norm just to be like oh epulous monitor well epulous in and of itself, it's a meaningless term. It is a descriptive term. It's not a diagnostic one. It just means bump on the gums, essentially. So, you know, if you think about it, again, kind of thinking about how we would talk about other body systems, mm -hmm. other regions, like if you just wrote rule out, bump on the leg, like that's not really a rule out. Yeah. It's um, a description. So epulis in and of itself is meaningless. So I think it's not too extreme to just kind of throw the whole term out, you know, baby and bathwater. Um, if we want to be, you know, most specific when we're talking about rule outs for a mass, like, yes, there are um, plenty of benign causes, you know, just normal uh, gingival hyperplasia. But again, obnoxious side note, that is a histologic diagnosis. Oh, gosh. So that should also <laughs> not be in your rule out list. Gingival enlargement, I think, would be mm. a wonderful, um, appropriate kind of term when we are talking about findings on physical examination. So, um, if you have an exuberant area on the gingiva, I would say gingival enlargement, rule out, you know, benign, gingival hyperplasia, maybe it's a um, peripheral odontogenic fibroma, maybe it's an ameloblastoma, maybe it's something uglier. But mm. um, epulis is, is quite archaic, I think, at this point, and I know it is easy to just throw away that term or use it as a throwaway term, but if we want to refine the way we, you know, discuss dentistry, um, the way that we describe it in our examination notes, then I think it, it's got to go. Amazing. Thank you. I think I love that this is like, it is. Um, so it's great to hear from like, it's cause it's one of those things that I think you would, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think about any of these, ter like these terminologies, like they are like to the general practitioners. So benign and innocuous. Um, but hearing from, again, the perspective of the person that they're going to be referring to uh, and what you're looking for is probably, it's, I'm sure, valuable to uh, to everybody listening. And um, I think that that, like, that was part of what, what interested me in the topic is the idea of, like, the do's and don'ts mm -hmm. of what, when you're referring mm -hmm. uh, cases. And, like, because um, so often it kind of just, like, goes into a, a black hole and you don't get to like actually have the conversation with that, mm -hmm. uh, the vet you're referring to mm -hmm. either afterwards or, uh, then it just becomes the, like, like you want to be able to, everyone wants to be able to give high quality, uh, referrals because mm -hmm. obviously they want to make sure that the, the, uh, client has a smooth experience, mm -hmm. um, going over to the transfer clinic and then mm -hmm. also like in, upon return into, mm -hmm. uh, their general practice. But 
from your perspective, what do you um, look for most as like the do's and what are some mm-hmm. don'ts that you see happen a lot? For uh, kind of criteria for referral in general? Yeah. Yeah. I think it... it <laughs> so, again, trying to hold space for and grace for the fact that dentistry is so challenging mm-hmm. for, for a lot of people in primary care. Like, I totally get it. So I don't want it to be... Um, I don't want it to be a um, frightening idea, yeah. you know, to yeah, send yeah, yeah. something to me and be like, oh, he's going to judge every word I've written. Like, reach out to me, ask me. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm very happy. Like, I love doing continuing education. I love being a resource to veterinarians in the community. So, like, if you have a question, there's no harm in reaching <laughs> out to me and letting me know, you know, like, what would you do? What would you think? Do you think this is appropriate to refer or not? So yeah. step one, like, reach out. <laughs> be, 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 you know, be a fr- be friendly. I'm, I'm happy to offer that sort of informal consultation for sure. Um, but I think with regard to um, kind of the line and the sand that we draw for referral, it's dependent on the individual clinician. Mm-hmm. If you are comfortable with doing with dealing with sort of periodontal disease and the sequela thereof there's no reason that you necessarily have to refer any of those cases it's a matter of kind of surgeon comfort so i think generally from my perspective i would love to get to the point in the field where primary care veterinarians are comfortable you know dealing with most all of the ramifications and consequences of periodontal disease Mm -hmm. and and prevention or, or treatment via extractions. Um, but even extractions, you know, not all extractions are equal, you yeah. know, um, removing an incisor is certainly much less daunting than, you know, mandibular first molar or a canine. Like I get it. Those are areas where if you're not comfortable with your surgical technique or you're not very experienced, then yeah, you absolutely can get into trouble. So I think for kind of periodontal related referrals, just know your own comfort level. Don't encourage you not you know to get into a situation where um, you are concerned that you are sort of uh, flirting with breaking jaws for sure just know that there's no shame if you get in there you get the rads you're like wow (laughs) wake them up yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) exactly yeah don't don't feel any shame about acknowledging your limits and waking them up if if there's a thread of mandible left 100% refer if that's the most comfortable for you um that being said, if you're comfortable with those extractions, if you're comfortable with taking out, you know, three rooted premolars, go for it. Like, I don't think you're doing your patients a disservice by any means of doing those. Um, it'll probably be more affordable in the primary care realm versus mm-hmm. referral for those sorts of, you know, complicated extractions. So I think routine extraction work, usually secondary to periodontal disease, maybe secondary to trauma. Um, if clients aren't interested in pursuing root canal, great, extract away. I think things that do necessitate referral generally at least within you know the new york city um, environment that i've experienced is when we um, if you have the discussion with a client and say you know this is a fractured tooth there is pulp exposure benign neglect is not on the table it's not benign so Mm -hmm. either we need to extract or do a root canal if clients are you know horrifically opposed to the idea of taking out the tooth then sure refer them for a root canal or for a discussion thereof Um, there are a lot of um, decision-making factors that go into, you know, is this tooth salvageable? Is it worth of doing a root canal? I'm happy to have those conversations. I'm also happy to 
consult with a primary care vet so that mm-hmm. they can have some of those conversations as well. Um, but I think, you know, preserving teeth via root canals, even with um, kind of advanced periodontal disease, if clients are very, very invested in keeping teeth no matter what, there are some things that we can do. Um, even in the face of significant loss of attachment, we can do things like guided tissue regeneration, you know, periodontal surgery, um, all sorts of fun things for sure if we want to, you know, save that maxillary canine <laughs> on that dachshund. <laughs> um, but um, it's, I think, if I think it still could be very helpful from the primary care perspective to at least know what the treatment options are potentially, yeah. Yeah. Um, rather than just referring into the void. It's like, oh, this client really do doesn't want to, yeah. yeah, like, okay, well, good luck. You know, I think I would trust, you know, um, primary care vets to at least have, you know, I think there is plenty of room even to have those conversations though, mm-hmm. where, you know, yeah, the client says they really want to root canal this tooth, but it's a 19 year old chihuahua. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're flirting with yeah. heart failure. Our kidneys aren't great. <laughs> you know, if you want to reach out to me first, I'll tell you, I probably won't recommend a root canal <laughs> in that patient. And then we don't have to, you know, futz with the there, yeah. circle of referrals. So um, I think there is also a lot of room in that conversation still within the primary care vet exam room to be like, yeah, you know, you're telling me you want to save teeth at all costs, but you know, my, my local uh, referral friend tells me that it's not that simple. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Um, there's a lot of room for discussion there as well. Um, but I think it's there's no shame. I just don't want anyone to have any shame about reaching out to me and asking, like, is this ridiculous to consider referral? You know, am I going to embarrass myself yeah. by talking about referral? No, you won't. <laughs> just just reach out. Let me know. Amazing. Yeah, that was, um, as we wrap up here, I, I think... Um, the first of all, you are like, I hope everyone hears you here uh, in, in this to say, like, reach out. I think mm-hmm. that asking that question is is going to unlock a lot um, for everybody. It makes everybody's lives easier, including the pet. Mm-hmm. Um, how like we've talked a lot today about um, some of these more like in in the weeds uh, mm-hmm. of dentistry and, and how both you interact with it and our, our primary care counterpart interacts with it as well. Um, what are your like kind of sage advice thoughts uh, and prayers for our, <laughs> our, our primary care vets that want to uh, become more dentistry literate, that mm-hmm. want to uh, be able to uh, tackle mm-hmm. uh, these types of cases, both in their own clinic and then uh, of course, collaborating with local specialists. What, um, where, where should they start and where should they go? Great question. I think if you are, in a region with um, a referral center of that sort, then, you know, definitely reach out, establish the relationship. A lot of them also do um, continuing education in their region. So I, I, you know, with now that PRISM is finally in its final form, (laughs) I hope to do a lot of that as well, you know, still, you know, whether that's in the referring clinic or within PRISM, having people coming in to learn. So, um, you know, just make a friend out of your local referral dental facility, but even if there isn't one available, or even if you want to do as much as possible, um, every year there's the Veterinary Dental Forum. Mm-hmm. So that is a wonderful continuing education opportunity. It's you know, national, so there will be veterinarians from all all walks of life, but there are the programming there, there are multiple tracks. So there's kind of um, basic, intermediate, advanced. Like if, you know, as a resident, I was sitting in on the advanced listening to, you know, all the most recent research, et cetera, but there's plenty of programming for primary care audiences. There are wet labs there for primary care audiences. So um, I would say just make, uh, make use of the um, existing continuing education opportunities. Um, and 
just sort of in general, start early. You know, mm-hmm. there are, you guys, you have the window where you, you meet <laughs> the puppies and the kittens. So yeah. it is a conversation that is never too early to start. You know, you talk about handling paws so that nail trims aren't a screaming, you know, bloody monstrosity later in life. Like <laughs> start about handling the mouth as well. So yeah. maybe toothbrushing's on the table and even just um, getting clients comfortable with actually looking in their pet's mouths so mm-hmm. that 14 years later, we're not a trench mouth and no one's lifted the lip in, in years <laughs> and everyone is surprised. So start early and um, just go to as many com- uh, continuing education opportunities as you can, I would say. Amazing. Well, thank you, Dr. Ford. I really appreciate you coming in, uh, fitting time into your, your busy, crazy schedule uh, <laughs> for Dentistry Month. Um, that wraps up our, our Dental Month episode. I wanted, before you go, like, I, like you said, PRISM is officially opening on on your official storefront what's the yes. what's the address so people can find you 19 west 21st street so on 21st between 5th and 6th and Flatiron, and we will be more than happy to have you there <laughs> amazing thank you so much jordan uh appreciate it thank you for everyone tuning in uh we will be live uh next month i believe in march with a couple more topics so looking forward to that but this will be up very soon before the end of the month so you'll be able to still uh cap off your your dental uh education with a couple of a couple of words from dr jordan ford so thank you and we'll talk to you soon thank you for having me